Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. So glad that you're tuning in today. Again, this is the show where you can call in. And it's every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. Mountain Time here on Grace FM. And on this show, what we do is we are taking your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. We're praying for you along with all of those who are listening all over the country and in different parts of the world even. And we are praying for you in one accord and saying amen together. And also we are answering your questions about the Bible. So maybe you've been reading the Bible and you have some issues that have come up, maybe some things you don't understand, or maybe a theological question, maybe a historical question. I'd love to answer those for you to the best of my ability. So give me a call. The number is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us, 720-336-0897. Again, the vision for this show is really to give you, maybe you call it a lifeline, you know, a line to a pastor every day where you can call in with your questions. Uh, maybe you've had a conundrum or issue in your life that you're not sure about. We'd love to speak with you and hopefully bring some clarity to areas where uh, that clarity has been missing. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to greet those who are listening on our syndicated stations on the East Coast. We want to greet those listening on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. We also want to greet everyone listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you are tuning in today. We want to give you a reminder that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind. It might um, you know, shed some light on, on different things that you're hearing because, of course, the show is being uh, aired live on Grace FM. But just keep that in mind, but we want you to be part of this community, and we want you to call in. So you guys actually have, in a way, a unique opportunity, because for those of you who listen on delay, you are able to call in, and then you get to hear yourself on over-the-air radio the next week when you uh, tune in for that. And maybe that's an opportunity for you to share the station with your friends and turn them on to some great Christian radio, some great Bible teaching, you know, say, hey, uh, mom, dad, cousin, friend, whoever you are, you know, I'm going to be on the radio. It was live last week, but it's going to be aired this week uh, locally. So tune in with me and maybe that'll be a way for them to get into the word and we'll see what God does in their lives as they start listening to it. For those of you who are listening live, we do encourage you uh, spread the word about Grace FM. You can do it on social media. You can do it um, in email. We just encourage you. Let other people know that there's a great opportunity here, um, not only with this show, to ask questions and be prayed for interactively, but also to hear solid Bible teaching throughout the day. I know the staff and the people who run Grace FM put a lot of care into the Bible teaching that goes on on this station, making sure that it's top-notch. And so we are dedicated to that, to, to getting you quality Bible teaching 
And so we would love it if you'd share uh, about the station with those who you know. Big hello again to everyone who listens online as well. We know there are so many of you who are uh, tuning in online. And I just got a map from the producer here. We see people on the West Coast, people on the East Coast, down in Louisiana and the Midwest. We see people, I think that's Ohio over there. And uh, we also have a lot of people here in Colorado, different parts of Colorado, including some people who are outside of our broadcast range, which is cool. Glad that you guys are able to tune in online. We also have some international listeners in Ukraine and South Africa. So welcome to all of you who are tuning in online. And hey, if you don't have the Grace FM app, then now's a great time to do it. Just while you're listening to the show, go on your mobile device and go get that Grace FM app right now. Just go in your app store and go to Grace FM. In the, um, in the search bar, type it in, no spaces, Grace FM, no spaces there, and it'll come right up. It's a free app. And we'd love it if you'd put that on your phone or on your tablet, and then you can tune in anytime over the internet, anywhere in the world. And you can also tune in to this show and to all the other programs on Grace FM by going to our website, gracefm.com, and you can listen right there in your browser. So we have all full lines right now, uh, which I'm excited about. And we're going to get to those lines in just a second, but I just want to introduce myself one more time. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And you can check us out online right now. Of course, like everybody else, we're doing church online. So we do church online in three places. On our website is kind of our one-stop hub for everything you need to know about our church. But then, of course, we're on all the social media as well. So I'll give you our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Whitefields, with an S, church.com. And, of course, find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter as well as on uh, our website. But all the links there are on whitefieldschurch.com. You can go there, find more information about us. If you're looking for a place to watch church this Sunday, we are broadcasting our services on YouTube, Facebook, and on our website at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. I'd love it if you'd tune in for that. And if you find it helpful, share it with some other people. So whitefieldschurch.com. And our church recently moved. We're still in the city of Longmont. Um, but we have moved locations. We were in a rented location before, and it was a location where we were setting up every week. It was a ton of work, especially as our church grew. It got to be really increasingly a lot of work. And we got into this thing where we really wanted to move, but then it became this thing where uh, as our church grew, we needed more money to move into something that would fit us. And so finally God opened a door this past spring for us to move into a, a huge facility that really meets all of our needs and is just a huge answer to prayer. And we're so excited. Let me give you the address for that. Of course, it's on our website, but I'll give it to you. It's 2950 Colorful Avenue, 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. And it is right across the street from Sandstone Ranch um, Sports Center. I'm not sure what that place is called, the sports complex there where all the soccer fields and uh, baseball fields. There's a, um, there's a skate park right there on Sandstone Ranch. So Sandstone Ranch Sports Complex is right there at Highway 119 and Fairview, and we are directly across the street. So we are directly across Highway 119 on the north side of Highway 119 there. And so maybe if you know the area, we're just east of County Line Road and Ken Pratt Boulevard, which is Highway 119. And we are just east of the new hospital there, 
just east of the Walmart that is there as well, but we're on the north side of the street. So we, once we are able to open again, we would look we look forward to having many of you come and visit and see our new location. We're really excited about it. Until then, of course, we are online, just like everybody else, serving people in that way and connecting. And, you know, recently, a lot of questions we've received are, how do you plan to reopen your church? And so last week, we rolled out a three-step plan a three-stage plan. And if you're interested in that, if it would be helpful for you, maybe uh, for your church and how you're thinking through and praying through how to reopen, we'd love it if you'd go check it out and just uh, you know give it some consideration. If anything in there is helpful for you, um, that would be great for us. We just put that out there to be a service, not only to our church, but to anyone else out there who could benefit. And you can find that on our Facebook and YouTube pages as well as on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Okay, let's go to our first caller, and I'm going to look again. This is Virginia in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Virginia. Welcome to the program. Hello. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. What's up? Uh, so my question is about if you're saved, are you always saved, or do you have to rededicate your life, and in what scriptures would back that up? Sure. Yeah. Well, let me uh, walk you through this idea. So, you know, this is a question we actually get a lot on here is, you know, and it's it's as if people think there's kind of one or two ways, right? So there's the once saved, always saved versus uh, the idea would be that you can lose your salvation or like you were saying, you have to rededicate your life. Now, I'll be really clear and say rededicating your life, I don't think can ever be a bad thing. But the question is, do you have to rededicate your life in order to receive salvation in the sense that you have lost that salvation, that you had it at one time, then there was a time when you did not have it, and now that you rededicated your life, you have it again. So I think that personally, I think we should be rededicating our lives every single day to the Lord, right? I don't really have a verse for you on that, but I do think that that is a good habit for us to be in and, uh, and for us to be, you know, I, I tell my church, we need to be embracing the gospel by faith every day, multiple times a day, right? That, that's not just a one-time thing. So let, let me kind of break down this thought, though. And I'll tell you why I don't like either of these phrases, like losing your salvation. I don't really like that phrase. And I also don't like the phrase, once saved, always saved. And the reason I don't like these phrases is because I don't find them to reflect what the Bible teaches. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's start with the easy one, which is the idea of losing your salvation. And that is, um, and here's the reason, the, the words and the word pictures that the Bible uses to describe what salvation is. Let's just think through some of those. It, one of them, for example, is being born again. Another one is being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Another one is being adopted. Now, where in the Bible do we see any example of the opposites of those? Meaning that once those have taken place, that the that you know, do I do we ever see anybody being unborn again? Do we ever see any idea of having someone having been sealed with the Holy Spirit and then is that seal then removed? Right? And so uh, another example of that, like I said, adoption. Is there an idea of being adopted? as a child of God and then somehow being rejected as a child of God. And so I, I don't, I think that those are all unhelpful. Plus the whole 
phrasing of that, saying that you can lose your salvation, implies um, something passive that is happening against your desires, right? So I lost my keys, I lost my kid at the grocery store, I lost this or that, right? These are things, you know, I lost $20 at the laundromat, right? These are things that you didn't want to happen, and yet they happen to you, and you seem to be in a passive role in that, okay? So now I think if we were going to ask the question, can you abandon your salvation? Then that one might be uh, one where I might say, I think that you could find some biblical arguments for somebody abandoning salvation. Okay. But uh, I don't think it's something you can lose against your desire. Now, um, on the other hand, let's talk about the once saved, always saved concept. Here's why I don't like that phrase, although I might agree with the, um, the concept. The phrase implies that it's a box that you tick. At least that's how it sounds to me. That you're, you're checking a box. In other words, you raised your hand at middle school camp when you were 12 and you're good for the rest of your life. And basically, you don't have to do anything. You can, you know, um, you can, you know, live like a hog and die like a dog. But because you raised your hand that one time, you know, when the TV preacher told you to, now you, you've uh, checked the box for the rest of your life and you've got your fire insurance and it doesn't matter how you live or what you do. So I, I don't think that that is a biblical concept either. Here is a biblical concept. Bible Bible would say that salvation is what we would call kind of all-encompassing or comprehensive, meaning it is past tense, present tense, and future tense. All all these three tenses are used. So you you have been saved from the penalty of sin in Christ. You are being saved from the uh, let's say, the presence of sin in your life, right? That's the sanctification part. And you will be saved ultimately from the very presence of sin and death altogether. And that will happen, of course, when Christ comes again and um, at the end of all things. So I think that that is a more helpful way to think about salvation. So are you saved? Yes. Are you being saved? Is it an ongoing process? Yes, right? So that salvation is being worked out in your life, kind of like it talks about in Philippians chapter 2. And then you will be saved ultimately when Jesus comes again. And so, you know, this is why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So I would say to a person, here's the other thing. The Bible would say this, if you are a person who basically is trying to use the fact that you at one time received the Lord as a license to now sin, um, then the Bible would come back harshly and say, hey, 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 maybe you're not even saved because if you were, that that's not the fruit of somebody who's been saved. So you really need to examine whether or not you truly are in the faith. On the other hand, you have um, people who are like a broken reed, right? They want so badly to be saved, but they realize their own sinfulness and they're so afraid that because of their mistakes somehow they have lost their salvation and they live in this constant fear of this and um and they never walk in victory which is a victory that jesus himself got let's remember and and so the bible would speak to those two different situations differently and i think that's really important that we understand that when we read the bible they're not just speaking into a void right they're not just speaking into a vacuum 
they're speaking to people who were doing certain things and they're addressing those situations and we need to apply the Bible in a similar way. All right, so I've got more to say, but I'm going to just stop myself there. Okay, (laughs) that was a lot. So then, you know, so how does that tie into when people backslide? Yeah, okay, great, great question. And so, uh, again, I'll make this quick. There's, There's a really good passage that I would point you to, and this is a passage that often gets used in this discussion, and it's in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm going to turn there right now myself just so I can read it to you. But um, I would encourage you to read it. Now, if you were to read this, again, just in a vacuum, you might think that this is a good argument for the idea that you can actually lose your salvation. But if you read it in context, I think it makes it very clear what it's saying. He's saying this, and, and remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish people who were considering giving up on Christianity because their lives were, they were experiencing hardship as Christians. So they were like, you know what? My life was better when I was not Christian. So I'm just going to give up on being a Christian. I'll go back to being a Jew. And the writer is writing to these people to address that and to tell them that would be the biggest mistake you could ever possibly make. And here's what he says. He says, um, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. He goes on to say a few things uh, beside that, but here's, here's what I would point out to you. If you met somebody who met all those criteria, There was a time in their life when they tasted the goodness of the word of God. There was a time in their life when they tasted, you know, the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit. And now they've turned away or fallen away. You would have looked at that person at that time in their life and said, this person is obviously a Christian. And what the Bible is saying here is that it's possible for someone to appear to have been a Christian and to not actually have been a Christian. And that brings up the question, how can we know whether somebody's really a Christian. Again, is that up to us? I'm not sure that it is. I'm actually quite sure it's not up to us, that we are called to love people, and it's God's job to determine where people actually are in their hearts before him. But in the, the point is, we can look at people's behavior, and we can say, hey, brother, it doesn't look like you are walking with the Lord. Um, you know, like 1 Corinthians 13, examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. So, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 15, examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith, you know. And so, you know, First John, anyone who turns a sinner away from his sinful ways uh, saves his soul, and does a good thing. So we, we deal with people's actions. God knows people's hearts. So it's really tough for us to look at somebody and say, well, this, is this person backsliding or were they never actually a Christian? That question is above our pay grade. Right. We are so called we really- to don't know that because you're saying because God looks at the heart. So God may know whether this person is saved, whether this person is a Christian, regardless of how they're acting. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. But I would say this, that we are called to, let's say, look at somebody's actions. And if they are incongruent with Christianity, to, to call them on it and call them to repentance, especially if they call themselves a Christian. And I'll tell you one anecdote before I let you go. I had somebody in my life when I was 16 years old. 
I grew up in a um, Christian environment, Lutheran church. I was catechized, everything. And then for about two years' time, I really, um, you know, was somewhat rebellious against God and against um, also my parents and, you know, did that, that whole thing. And I had this person I drove to school every day. We were friends. She was a Christian. And one day in the car, she mentioned as an aside, you know, because she said, you know, you know, because you're not a Christian. And I said, wait, 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 what are you saying? I'm not a Christian. Of course, I'm a Christian. And she said, um, well, I don't know. What's a Christian? Somebody who follows Jesus? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, do you follow Jesus? And I was like, yes. But of course, I knew that the answer was really no. Right. So I'm so th I'm so glad that she called me out on it. Now, I didn't like it at the time. I even wrote her a letter and said that she was a judgmental terrible person but it was something that I now look back on and say thank you God for somebody who had the boldness to call me out and you know what honestly I do not know whether or not I was a born-again person if I would have died if I would have gone to heaven or not but now I have the assurance of salvation because I, I can see the fruit in my life and I know that wholeheartedly I want to follow Jesus and I embrace the gospel so I hope that anecdote is somewhat helpful in a discussion. It well. is. So, so what I'm understanding is there, there's no saying that, or you don't really like that saying about once saved, always saved, or, you know, losing your salvation. And, you know, I like when you said we're, we are saved or we be, we're being saved and we will be saved when uh, Jesus returns. So yeah. I, I can go back and have the conversation with my daughter because I always believe that once you were saved, you're always saved. But I never put it in the context, well, maybe that's given me a license still to still continue, you know, if I was doing all these other things, just still continue in that life because I'm protected already. Mm. Yeah, and if you and read the book of Jude, he actually addresses that. It's a one page book, real easy to read. But he says, you know, he says, watch out for these people who use the grace of God as a license to sin. And, uh, you know, think about like a driver's license or a fishing license, right? You think that now that I've, you know, said that prayer, raised my hand, whatever it is, that now I can, you know, I'm free to do these things. So that's the warning. I need to let you go. God bless you. Thanks for the great question and discussion. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Let's go to our next caller, Tom in Fort Lupton, Colorado. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Pastor? Doing great. What's up? Um, my question is, Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. Okay. So why was Judas, well, we assume anyway, that Judas wasn't forgiven? Yes. So why? how does that come about? Oh, it's a great question. There's a great answer as well. Now, Judas is referred to as the son of perdition. And so for that reason... We can, I think, rightly assume that Judas was not saved and that um, that in the end, that's kind of how his story ends. There's a really interesting contrast that the Bible is making in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, between uh, Peter and Judas. And here's the here's the thing. Peter and Judas essentially commit the same sin on the same night, don't they? Right, they both betray Jesus. In fact, there's a way in which you could say Peter's actions were worse than Judas's actions because 
uh, where Judas only betrayed Jesus once and then felt bad about it. Peter betrayed Jesus three times. Okay, so what's really important, they, these two men commit the same sin, but look at how they both respond to the issue. On the one hand, Peter, um, he's distraught, of course, over his sin, which is no different than Judas. They're both distraught. But look at what they do. Peter goes out and he, um, this is what always sticks with me. We often think, well, where do we find Peter? Well, he's gone back to Galilee. He's working as a fisherman. Okay, but wait a second. We actually see Peter one time before he goes to Galilee. We see Peter on Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and he is one of the disciples in the closed room when Jesus comes and has dinner with them. Okay, what does that tell us? It tells us this, that Judas went away and killed himself. In other words, he didn't come to Jesus or he didn't come to the other disciples confessing his sin and repenting. Rather, in his remorse, he went and um, committed suicide, which is terrible and sad, extremely sad. But look at Peter. Here's a guy who also betrayed Jesus, also felt horrible. But where does he go? He goes to the brothers, right? The brothers and the sisters, the followers of Jesus. He confesses his sin and he humbles himself and He's there on the day when Jesus is resurrected with the brothers and the sisters. Of course, we know they were there as well. And then uh, later on, Jesus comes to him and restores him. And this is what I love so much at the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Notice it's almost like a reversal of Peter's um, sin of betraying Jesus three times. Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. He says, well, feed my sheep. Then what does he do again? He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. Now there's a whole discussion in there, which I don't have time for, but it's they actually using two different words for love. Essentially, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me with agape love? And Peter's saying, Jesus, you know that I love you with brotherly love. What's going on there? Peter's admitting the fact that he has not loved Jesus perfectly. He has not loved Jesus the way that he should. He has not loved Jesus the way that Jesus had loved him. But Jesus is three times asking him, do you love me? The same number of times that Peter denied Jesus. And I bet that if Judas, instead of killing himself, had gone to Jesus, or gone even to the, the disciples, right? Because he probably wasn't clear on the fact that Jesus was going to resurrect. If he would have gone to the disciples and said, I messed up, guys, I need forgiveness. I, I'm sorry that he too would have been restored. And what this tells us is this, that um, not everyone, think about it like this. If Jesus has died for all sins, past, present, future, then why would anyone go to hell? Well, there's one very good reason. Because a gift has to be received, right? That, that has to be actualized. It has to be um, put into, it has to be uh, taken hold of, right? just like all the promises of God. They're there, they're available, but we take hold of them and actualize them by faith. And so what we see there with um, Judas is just a failure to do that, tragically. And that's also the reason why anybody goes to hell is because, yes, Jesus has paid the price. His blood is sufficient for all, but it is effective for those who receive it by faith. Does that make sense?
Yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll chew on it for a while. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, Thanks yeah. Thank you. Hearing me out. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are now at our time for our six, our, what am I saying? We're at the time for our half show break. I just saw the note from the producer, 60 seconds. So I was thinking that, hey, we are going to go to our break. We've got two callers on the line. We've got one open line and we'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, your prayer requests. We'd love to chat with you, uh, hopefully bring some clarity. and We'd love to pray for you. So give us a call. We'll get to those people who are on hold right after the break, and we'll be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here today with you taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We've had a lot of calls today, which is great. Let's go to Bianca uh, in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Bianca. Welcome to, the, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Doing great. What's up? I just want to... It's a praise report, but I guess also a prayer request because the Lord has answered my prayer regarding the missionaries I'm passionate about as far as what direction to go. Um, And I just... Praise the Lord because He told me to just keep encouraging them in the way that I am doing. But I would also like prayer that the the Lord would open the door for me to stay in even more contact with some of these people that I want to be in contact because I know it's really hard to talk to someone on a Facebook prayer time. Sure. And I just want the Lord to open that door for me to actually, I don't know, email them or message them personally. Yeah. Well, you know, Bianca, I can speak into that, and I'm glad that you brought this up. It's a good opportunity for us to us to also plug something that um, we've been involved in. Now, Bianca, I know you've been tuning in for some of our prayer times on the Calvary Chapel Facebook page, and so for seven weeks now, can you believe that? Seven weeks we have been going live every day uh, for an hour of prayer. For the past two weeks, my wife's been joining me. So if there's anybody out there, uh, who wants to join that, I would encourage you to do so. It's going to be weekdays 
on the Calvary Chapel Facebook page. It's the, the main one there. It's got like 25 or maybe 30,000 followers, so you should be able to find it pretty clearly. And uh, we've been going on there and praying every day for an hour, different Calvary Chapel and Calvary Global Network uh, leaders from around the country and around the world, and I've been one of them. And we've been praying for all kinds of stuff for the last week, but, um, you know, I, uh, I think that I have probably a good face for radio, um, so if there's any of you out there who want to see what I actually look like, then you can go and check out these Facebook prayer times. But, you know, Bianca, my wife and I were missionaries for over a decade, and I could just give you a little bit of uh, some tips on things that blessed us as missionaries that people can do. And um, here's one is, you know, sending things in the mail, even if they're just symbolic things. I think that having a connection point to home, if home is the United States for many of these people, is meaningful. And, you know, you could just ask them, hey, what's something I could send you that would encourage you? And uh, I just think about some of the things we used to like. You know, there's just like, you know, things that you can't get there. They might be trivial. They might, and they're, they're definitely not things that like um, missionaries, you know, live or die by, but they're just really encouraging when people think of them. So maybe it's sweets, maybe it's food items, maybe it's things like that. Um, I would encourage you to consider maybe sending some of those things. And I bet if you contact those missionaries that you have been put in touch with already via Messenger on, on Facebook, that you'll also be able to get their email addresses so you can write them a longer message. I would also just ask them how you can be on their uh, newsletter list. Every missionary I know has a newsletter, and they love it if people subscribe to them. And they're always, you know, it's always a bit discouraging when people unsubscribe. So I would encourage you guys get on some of those newsletter lists and just be praying for their needs. I know that's, that's really helpful and really encouraging knowing that there's a group of people standing behind you. So let me pray for you, Bianca. Heavenly Father, thank you for Bianca's heart for missionaries, and thank you that she's had the opportunity to reach out to some people lately. We pray that you'd bless her in that, Lord, and give her continued guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Bianca. Thanks for calling in. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Joseph in Centennial, Colorado. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to the program. Hey. Hey. So um, <clears throat> I had a question um, that's kind of been bugging me lately. Um, it was having to do with something. I, I had just come across something that... Uh, like John MacArthur had said, and he was asked if he was a dispensationalist, and it, it, um, and he started going on about the millennial reign of Christ and how in the millennial reign, you know, certain temple ordinances are going to be reinstated and stuff, and and so and then he responded saying, so that's about all of a, that's about as much of a dispensationalist I am, and I didn't even understand. I really did not even understand what that meant, and I didn't understand how, you know, I didn't understand the the relation between the two. So I started yeah. to think, I'm like, maybe I don't know what dispensationalism is, you know? Yeah. Hey, Joseph, did I get a text message from you last Friday asking about Calvinism versus dispensationalism? No. Or was that no, somebody I don't else? Think that was me. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so somebody had actually texted and what I did is I, I saved that text because I didn't have the opportunity to talk about it on the air. And I was gonna talk about it today if we ended up having any time when callers weren't calling in. So um 
to answer your question, first of all, is your question, what is dispensationalism? And maybe I could yeah, contrast yeah. it. Yeah. So I, I find dispensationalism to be a bit of a, um, one of these words that I think has been co-opted by some people, and it means different things to different people. And so I'll give you my definition of dispensationalism, but I'll also tell you what dispensationalism isn't because some people have the idea of, well, and it's, it's not really fair to say that it isn't that. It's just that disp the word dispensationalism is sometimes used by people to mean something different than what most people who believe in dispensationalism believe. Let me explain what I mean. Okay, dispensationalism essentially believes that there are dispensations of time in which God worked different ways. And where that comes from, and, and the question is, what does that mean, that God worked in different ways during that time? But essentially, the idea behind dispensationalism comes from, for example, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read that to you. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So there are a couple different forms of dispensationalism. One form was popularized by someone named Schofield, who wrote around the beginning of the 20th century, and he identified seven dispensations of time, dispensations sorry, dispensations or time periods in which God worked in different ways. Now, not everybody who's a dispensationalist believes in Schofield's seven dispensations. Now, here's another way that I, I want to be real upfront about it, because I remember talking to somebody recently who was saying, oh, I don't believe in dispensationalists, dis dispensationalism because dispensationalists believe that God saved Jews in a different way than he saves Christians. Let me be very clear. I do not believe that, and the great majority of dispensationalists do not believe that. That actually has a name, and I would say that's a heresy, and that is called dual covenant theology, or two covenant theology. And it basically means this, that God saved, and some people, many people, including like John Hagee, for example, believes that God still saves Jews under different rules or different criteria, then he saves non-Jews or Gentiles. Now, I, I reject that wholeheartedly. Um, I think the Bible adamantly eject, rejects that. There is, only, there is only one way and always has only been one way by which God saves people, and that is um, by grace through faith. Okay, and that, that's true in the Old Testament as well. That there's really, though, let's talk about what dispensationalism is. Dispensationalism is one way of understanding what we call eschatology. Now, I want to make sure I define that, too. Uh, see, so much of this depends on definitions. Um, eschatology is sometimes thought of as the end times teachings, right? Like how what the end times timeline. Uh, eschatology is actually much more than that. In a way, you could say the entire Bible is eschatological in nature. And what that means is that it refers to the eschaton, which is the final event. And all that means is that the, all of Christianity looks forward to a final event. And that final event, by the way, is the return of Jesus, the judgment of the world, and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth, which is how the Bible talks about heaven. Um, so, all Christianity is eschatological, but these are two different views on how God works and how God has worked throughout history and how God will continue to work. So, 
here's here's really what it comes down to. There's two views here that are kind of, you know, it's kind of A or B. Now, I don't think there's only those choices, but let's just stick with that for now. Uh, dispensationalism or covenant theology. So sometimes you'll hear about covenant churches. A lot of reformed churches are adherents of covenant theology. A covenant theology is sometimes called, and not by covenant theologians, by the way, but by dispensationalists, they'll call covenant theology replacement theology. Okay, so dispensationalism, really clearly, just like to make it really simple, dispensationalists tend to believe right now that, the, that God's work through the literal nation of Israel is ongoing, whereas covenant theologians tend to believe that God has replaced Israel with the church. That is probably the big difference between dispensationalism and covenant theology. Covenant theology would say that God has worked through a series of covenants throughout history, that he still works through covenants. And here's what I would say. Dispensationalists don't disagree with that. So to be a dispensationalist doesn't mean that you don't believe in covenants or that God still works through covenants. Is, I would say the biggest difference between covenantal theology and dispensationalism is really this concept of has God replaced Israel with the church or does God still keep his promises to the literal nation of Israel? So that is, I think, the big debate and the big issue. Basically, anybody who believes that when God speaks about Israel, those promises are actually for a literal Jewish people, those people are dispensationalists. Those people who don't are replacement theologians, but of course, they don't like to refer to themselves as replacement theologians. They call themselves covenant theologians. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think I understand. Okay. Was there a yeah. specific question you had in regard to um, dispensationalism? Well, you know, it was, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's some other questions about that. I mean, but you, so, and I, I, I would, uh, you know, I, I obviously believe that, you know, people have always been saved the same way. Um, you know, it's by grace through faith, you know, and, um, but as far as like, so, um, like as far as like the dispensations of, of that kind of, of that covenant or, or of that, uh, as far as how, you know, of how that works, you know, what, I mean, you know, what are the, I don't know when, it, during the millennial reign of Christ, you know, what, what purpose does the, uh, do the temple ordinances serve? Mm, yeah, good question. I'm not sure I have a good answer for you, but let me, let me do my best. Um, yes, this is another big difference, by the way. Thank you for bringing that up between covenant theology and dispensationalism is that uh, dispensationalists tend to be more literal in their expectation about a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, so covenant theologians generally don't believe in that. Now, as to why there will be a reintroduction of the temple, uh, I'm not sure. And actually, I'm not uh, sure that I agree with John MacArthur on that. I'm, I would need to do more study on it. Here's what I would say is that not all of the temple ordinances had to do with atoning for sin. If you look through the first seven chapters of Leviticus, 
you'll notice that only two of those sacrifices had to do with sin. The other ones, uh, for example, there was one, the grain offering. A grain offering in, in which they, they burn it on the altar, but they're, they're essentially making these cakes or breads. And they, um, they would do that for the purpose of um, fellowship. So the grain offering was about fellowship with God. And there, there were other fellowship offerings in which people would eat together. Now, I would say that I don't think there will be a reinstitution in a, in the, you know, in a thousand year reign. I don't think there would be a reinstitution of sacrifices to atone for sin, but perhaps for fellowship with God. And um, yeah, so the idea of, by the way, here's, here's the answer to the question. The idea of the temple ordinances being brought back into place comes from a reading of Ezekiel 40, verses 42 through 43, which describe the third temple, or the uh, temple which will exist in, in the dispensational view. They exist in the uh, millennial kingdom, and there we see that uh, there were burnt offerings and sacrifices. So again, burnt offerings and sacrifices one purpose of them might be to point backwards to Christ, but it certainly won't be to atone for sin. If you look at burnt offerings in Leviticus, they were for the purpose of dedication, basically saying that you are dedicating yourself wholly over to God. The other ones, there were burnt offerings which were um, done for the purpose of fellowship. So I would say that those would be the reasons. Oh, okay. Well, Cool. I hope that helped you, Joseph. And um, just, you know, here's what I would encourage you. Keep studying the Bible. Keep studying these things. And uh, that is a good way to spend your time. So I encourage you to keep uh, reading up on these things and studying them. And uh, God bless you in your study of God's Word. Hey, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. Pastor Nick Cady here from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air We've got two open lines. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Moses in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Moses. Welcome to the program. Hey, hey, man. I feel very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> hey, yeah, so uh, my, quest, my question is, uh, so I had this question pop up the other night in a Bible study where I was asked if, if you can have salvation and know Jesus, you know, in remote areas of the world, you know, even if you don't get access to the Bible. And it's like that's kind of answered in, like, the first chapter of Romans. But then they ask if you could know Jesus or know salvation, though you were unborn. So maybe an abortion or a miscarriage or, you know, how, whatever else might play into that category. But I would love to hear your wisdom in respect to that. Sure, yeah, and um, I, I did a YouTube video on this a little bit ago, and my answer would be simply, yes, I do think that children who are aborted or miscarried or even die at a young age um, go to heaven. Now, I don't, I don't know that for sure, right? It's me trying to put together the pieces of a puzzle with some missing pieces, right? So I would say that Everything in the Bible that I read tends to point to that. And, and here are some things that point to it. One of them is the issue of uh, the anecdotal story of David, um, of course, from, um, from, what is it, 2 Samuel chapter, is it 12? 
I'm just kind of guessing now. I think it's chapter 12. It's the point where David's um, son dies in infancy with his son from Bathsheba dies in infancy. And David is grieving while his son is sick. And then when his son dies, the servants are afraid to tell him that the son died because they're afraid of how he'll respond. But he actually washes his face and comes out and his grieving is over. And they say, well, why aren't you more upset about this? And he said, well, my son will not return to me, but I will go to him. And the assumption there is that David believed that he is going to heaven, that he'll be gathered into the presence of God at the end of his life, and that he believes that his son, therefore, is there already. So there's that reason. The other reason, and I can't remember the verse for this. Again, I mentioned this in this YouTube video I did a while back, but there's a, some verses in the Old Testament which talk about uh, judgment being the result of um, transgression, meaning judgment being for those people who intentionally sin. And so the idea here is that is there a point in time? So, so we would agree that everyone is sinful from birth. Even David says, even from my mother's womb, right? So we, that's part of our nature. The question is, are we judged by God because of our sinful nature or are we judged by because of our acts of rebellion? And so one argument on this case would say that until children can get to the point of, uh, you know, we would call it an age of accountability perhaps, where you are able to make a conscious decision about, you know, understanding what you're doing and what you're saying about God, rejecting God, like we see there in Romans 1, because where it says is that people know the right things, but they suppress that knowledge because enough can be known about God uh, from observing nature that we can know about God's character and we can know what is right and wrong. And the issue is not that we have not known what is right and wrong, but that we have not done right and therefore we have brought the judgment of God upon ourselves. Um, the, the issue with children, though, is the question of at what point are children um, openly rebelling against not just um, their parents, but even against God. And I don't think that that is a black and white answer where it's not like 11 and a half years old. It's going to depend on the child. It's going to depend on their cognitive ability. I think a, an important group to add into this discussion is those who have mental handicaps of differing levels, right? And so someone might be 37 years old, but they might be mentally on the level of a three-year-old. You know, and so I, I wonder about those people as well. I would put them uh, probably in that same discussion. So that's, um, those, are, those are my thoughts on it. If you're interested in me sending you that YouTube video, feel free to leave your number with the, um, with the producer and I'll text it to you. And anyone else out there who would like that YouTube video, I would be happy to text it to you as well. Just text us at the show, 720-336-0897. Okay, sweet. Thank you so much for, for your insight. Yeah, I definitely uh, would love to see that video. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So just leave your number with the producer. But uh, tell, us, tell us just real quickly about your Bible study up there in Fort Collins. Oh, I think I lost you. Okay. Moses, thanks for the discussion. Appreciate you. Hey, you're listening to Grace FM. This is Nick Katie. You're listening to Calvary Live here on Grace FM or on Hope FM or on Truth FM, wherever you're tuning in from or on the internet. We're, well, we're glad that you're with us. Welcome to the show. The number to call is 303-690-3000 with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you and hopefully 
bring some clarity to some issues where that, that has not been there. So give us a call, 303-690-3000, or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go for uh, to our caller, Jay, in Colorado Springs. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the program. Yes, good afternoon, Pastor. <clears throat> so I guess I before I pose my question, there's a branch of theology, and I'm not sure... <laughs> what they call it, but it deals, in other words, it deals with things, um, typically end-time things that haven't been experienced, like heaven and hell, um, some of the eschatological things that, in other words, it's a branch of theology that doesn't really have too much too much speculation on those things, because they actually haven't ever been experienced by anyone. Sure. So anyways, I'm not sure what the, that branch of theology is called. Um, but uh, there, there tends to be quite a bit of... Uh, I know there's a lot of clear teaching about hell and, and even heaven in the scriptures, um, but there is a branch of theology that deals with those things that actually haven't been empirically experienced in a concrete way. Sure. And so anyways, I, I say that to before my question. My question is, is why do pastors tend to separate the Bema Seat judgment from the Great White Throne judgment. Um, and while they might be two separate judgments, I guess when I look at Romans 14, I don't see a separation. Mm-hmm. Or when I look at the uh, Great One, the teaching of the Great White Throne judgment in the book of Revelation as a separation, I, it doesn't make sense that it would be separated because... Uh, because of the nature of judgment itself, because, you know, murder, in other words, murderers and rapists and people who have who've committed these, these type of crimes would have to have their, their um, victims um, present for, for, you know, just like in a real courtroom for um, uh, right. an accurate judgment to take place. Sure. I mean, if so, it's... If it's uh... In other words, why do, why do pastors tend to separate those out? And if they do, and if they are separated as if they're two different judgments chronologically, um, what bearing would that have on on how Christians would live? In other words, looking at Romans 14, where it says every everyone is accountable to God, everyone uh, is personally, you know, he t- t- they talk about not judging, Paul talks about not judging your brother because you'll stand before God and Okay. And so, uh, how do you how do you see those two judgments in your theological perspective? Yeah. Sounds good. We've only got four minutes left, so I'm going to have to make it quick. But um, the reason why they separate them is not necessarily chronological. It would be because two different words are used, you know, and maybe they are the same one. But it's to differentiate the fact when it says that we all stand before God. For example, we're told that um, in the epistles as well, that we all stand before God to be judged, Paul says, before what we've done in the flesh, whether good or bad. So I I'm not, uh, I actually maybe agree with you that these might be the same actual chair and that they might happen at the same time, but they are definitely for a different purpose or a different trajectory. Now, I'll give you a couple of reasons why people might separate them. One is that the talk about the Bema seat or the, um, the seat, yeah, let's just call it the Bema seat for now and I'll explain what it is. The Bema seat, that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
And there Paul, you know, says we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And it seems a bit weird. Like, why would we stand if we are Christians and Jesus has already been judged for our sins? Why would we stand before God for judgment? And the answer to that question is found in the word that Paul there uses for judgment, which is a judgment unto reward rather than a judgment unto punishment. It would be very similar to, for example, in the Olympics where you have judges, but the judges, you know, if you mess up, the judge isn't there to send you to jail. The judge is uh, going to maybe give you a lower score, but if you do well, the judge is there to award you. And so this is the differentiation that's being made in how Christians will be judged versus how people who have not put their faith in the gospel. And so uh, whether they take place chronologically at a different time, maybe that would be the argument for that could be made from perhaps Matthew 25, where it talks about how the sheep and the goats will be separated. And there would be a great example of why people might believe they're different, because if they're separated into two different groups, you could assume there that the one group is being judged uh, at the one on, you know, unto judgment, the other group being judged unto reward. And perhaps those would take place at separate times, but perhaps they wouldn't. I'm not really sure. But the other thing I would say is, you know, if you're talking about speculative eschatological positions, I mean, I think it's also a, a speculation to assume that the uh, um, the wrongful, the, the people who have been treated wrongfully must be there to give account um, in a court. I mean, that's how our court system works. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's how God's judgment system works. Furthermore, God knows all things already. He doesn't necessarily need witnesses to back up his uh, account. So that would be my answer, Second Corinthians 6 and perhaps Matthew 25. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the point is one's being judged to uh, punishment, the other one judged to reward. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Uh, check us out this Sunday online, whitefieldschurch.com, or you can read my articles over at nickcady.org. God bless you. Have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.